Welcome to the Thriving in the Word podcast. We are so happy to have you listening today, and it's a great conversation that we have as we dig deep in the Word. If you're enjoying the Thriving in the Word podcast, we'd invite you to like it on whichever podcast service you use, leave a comment, a rating, review, even share it on social media. Let your friends and family know about what we're doing here. We hope that you enjoy this edition of Thriving in the Word. Welcome, everybody, uh, to our uh, discussion today on the book of Micah. Uh, we've been in here for, this is what, our third week, I third believe. Week. Yeah, mm-hmm. so third week in the book of Micah, one of the minor prophets, a lot of good stuff in here. Last week, great conversation about uh, what does God require of us, right, to, to, uh, to do justly, to walk humbly, and, um, and, love, and mercy. love mercy. Yeah, right, yeah. There, there we go. Love mercy, walk humbly. Uh, so let, let's continue on here in the book of Micah. If anything stood out to you, uh, just go ahead and jump right in. Was it walk humbly but carry a big stick? Yeah, who's that? Teddy Roosevelt? Speak Roosevelt? softly. Yeah, speak, yeah. Softly. Oh, speak softly. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> I just have a question about this. So Micah 3, um, just the beginning there, I, I was listening to this in my car, and I, it says, And I said, <clears throat> Hear you, uh, heads of Jacob, the rulers of the house of Israel. So he's talking to the to the um, who's in charge, basically. So yeah. I'm assuming this would be the judges, the Pharisees, the whoever of their day, the prophets, kings, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Is it not for you to know justice? There's that whole thing with uh, Micah and you know being the social justice warrior. Warrior we talked about. You who hate the good and love the evil. So that struck me right there. You who hate the good and love the evil. So that's how corrupt they are, is that they actually love evil over good, right? Mm-hmm. Who tear the skin off my people and their flesh off their bones. Who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. So that's that's the transliteration from my English Standard Version of the Bible. So when I heard this, I was like, it's getting pretty gory, right? <laughs> so I'm thinking to myself... Sounds like a death metal song. That's what I'm saying, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's like Hannibal Corpse or something, yeah. right? Yeah, so so as I, as I was listening to this, I was like, pause, rewind, Micah 3. So I listened to it three or four times, and I'm like, were they cannibals? Because that's, that's what it says. It basically says here that you tear the skin off my people and their flesh from off their bones who eat the flesh of my people. Now, is this just like Hebrew poetry, or is this actually, mm. were they that corrupted? Because we know in the past... They did go the way of pagan idolaters but it, with it, things like child sacrifice. And mm, you do see mm. things like that in the scriptures, you know? Mm-hmm. So, well, like, pa- so basically, like, are they being literal about it? Or are they saying, like... Is a, it figurative or is it literal? Yeah, could they, could they be figurative or are they just talking about, like, financially or he, emotionally or he, spiritually? He could be. Micah yeah. could be talking figuratively because he does use a lot of different language techniques in here. We didn't discuss those, but he does. Or... He could be referring to people that actually do that. For instance, we've talked about the Assyrians, and that's exactly what they did. So was it them he's talking about, or is he, you know, maybe the Assyrians infiltrated so much that, yeah, this is what some of the leaders are doing. They did those things. We talked about that. that there There was no limit to what they did. This is actually minor to what the, the Assyrians did. So, yeah, that type of thing did go on yeah. there. In our culture, too, it's it's a taboo thing, cannibalism, because we're raised, yeah. this is a Christian nation, whether people want to admit it or not, it just is. So we do have our moral structure and our laws set up around the Ten Commandments and whatnot. Now, in other parts of the world, cannibalism still takes place. It really does. Yeah. Whether it's, you know, in little jungles or, or wherever else. But so, Johnny, well, you think this is a Christian nation? I am, absolutely. Well, they well, bring this well, up every Christmas. 
<laughs> but without going down that path of yeah. cannibalism, I, I, you know, we'll get taken off somewhere deep. Mm-hmm. Going back to the lines you read there, we have to remember that there were other prophets. We talked about it last week. There were cults of prophets. There were schools for prophets. Mm. And why am I bringing that up? Because in here, in what you just read, going through just about all of three there, Micah predicts the destruction of Judah, of, of Jacob, of Israel. He denounces the religious practices of the nation. Mm. All right? Why is that important? Because other prophets did not do that. They were getting paid by the leaders. So they said what the leaders wanted to hear, so they got paid. And they said, oh no, God's going to protect you. God's going to... They said all the things that the leaders wanted to hear, that the kings wanted to hear, that the Pharisees, whoever it was that was in charge. So again, going back to what Johnny just read there in the beginning, the opening uh, verses of chapter 3, maybe another alternative explanation is that Micah wanted to say it as strongly as possible, Mm. that he wanted to impress upon them how ugly this was going to be to counteract the false prophets that were placating the kings because they were getting paid by them or placating the leaders. Mm. Well, you you know, I'm just kind of doing a little bit of digging as we we talk about it, and I kind of assumed it was... Uh, figurative, and I was looking at some commentaries, and again, not that I always base a lot on it, but sometimes they've looked into the history, which I can't do this quickly. And uh, and most most of these people assume that it, it was figurative um, in speaking, uh, as far as it wasn't they were like literally doing that, but it was that that was analogous uh, or, or that was an analogy for how they were treating each other and how they were how God saw what they were doing. It was like. Kind of, uh, you know, some hyperbole saying, well, this is essentially what you're doing. But, yeah. you know, I, I don't know. These guys could be wrong, um, as could I. But I, I, I haven't seen evidence in Scripture otherwise where where they were actually cannibalists. And, and interestingly enough, from what I've seen, even in history in this world, that there is, like, cannibalism isn't normally even uh, what we think it to be. Um, not that we want to go too far down that path. But, um, but that it, it wasn't like... Like there's people like they oh they just go out and like eat people but like there was certain you know in savage wars that they would take a piece of their enemy eat a piece of it as kind of like a uh, as like a threat to the other people because you know it's not very uh, from what I've heard not very uh, appetizing and then obviously in survival situations which is a whole other context um, there certainly has been but um, but a lot of the like like pygmies and things like that, which were traditionally known for that. Whenever they would dig deep enough into it, they would find that it wasn't actually. It was like it was more symbolic, and it was more of a reputation that they had in order oh, to. Was, like, wasn't part of their daily diet. No, no, not not part of their daily diet. Like like they're uh, raising kids just to eat. Yeah, them. like um, like oh, uh, Bugs Bunny and these things would would lead you to believe. And again, I, I could be wrong with that. That's <coughs> at least from the research that that I've seen that they weren't like. I mean, it was, this was kind of like a, a wartime thing as a way to threaten mm. their enemies and whatever. I don't know, D- Dave maybe has some more input on that. No, but. no, I don't, Judah. And it's like I said, I gave it to you. It could, could be, just figuratively yeah. speaking, it could be a reference to the Assyrians because I, did, I do have knowledge on that, and I'm not going to go into the detail. I yeah. told you, you know, they, yeah. they plucked people's eyes off, cut oh, their yeah. arms <laughs> off, let them walk around. They were, they were disgusting. So it, it, it could be real. It could be figurative. But 
I mean, we could, that's a topic that, like you, you say, we can go down a rabbit hole and talk yeah. about that. I'll tell you one thing, it's got my attention, <laughs> right? And that's the point of it. That's yeah. the whole point of it. I was uh, reading in John yesterday, and my wife and I were talking about John 10, verse 1. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of the sheepfold, rather than going through the gate, must surely be a thief and a robber. Why does Jesus have to say, like, why does he have to say, I truly tell you? Like, he's really trying to, to convince whoever's reading or the people that were listening at the time. It's not hyperbolic language. Exactly, yeah, yeah, is, right. Yeah. Like, I'm going to tell you a parable or a metaphor. Like, yeah. for example, if I said, like, you told me uh, to check out that restaurant, Melting Pot and Darien. Yeah. Right? You were like, you need to try it. Like, you have my word. Go try it. You're going to have a good time. It's going to be good food. Right? Like, you had to convince me, like, all right, fine. That's where I'm going to go. Right? Made the reservation. And I think that that's exactly what Micah is trying to do as well. Whether it's figuratively or, or you know, just using a metaphor or whatever, he, he's got my attention. It was mm. brutal. It was brutal then, and he wants to make sure that his message gets across so that we, we can understand how bad it was. Yeah, and I think you're right, Lenny. That's all that we need to get from that. Can we uh, dissect it more and more? Yeah, we can. But I think what you just said is m most appropriate that... You get, he got people's attention, he got our attention, he got your attention. We read that and we start to think about things, but he's getting the message across. Plus, as I said before, it, it's a serious contrast yeah. to what the other prophets were saying. Mm. He, he, made it he made it sure that it was going to be a serious contrast. He was on this end, Micah, that is, versus the other prophets that were saying... No problem, Ben. You can do what you've been doing. You can do all that. We're going to be okay. You know, and I'm taking money from you under the table. So yeah, he's speak. like, no, yeah. you're skinning people alive. Like, yeah. Like, it, it, it's, it's the shock value. Shock and awe. You so, know? So, so, but the so, so, so we're starting a band called Flayed Alive. Yeah. And, and we're going to just take <laughs> we're gonna be lyrics, lyrics from the Minor Prophets. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be straight out of Scripture. Oh, hold on, hold on. <laughs> the name right. of the first album, Straight Out of Scripture. Uh, yeah, yeah, Straight Out of Scripture. <laughs> Flayed Alive. We start a, you skin my people alive. Okay. So, so hold on, hold on, hold on. I know everyone's having a good time. The way the Bible can be fun. Wait, is this real life? Yeah, yeah, this is real life. So the reason why I bring it up is I know that there's hyperbolic language in in Scripture, right? And I know that Jesus often taught in parables, so anybody could understand, right? And he says it's for those who have ears to hear, eyes to see. And he would he would not argue. He would just walk away and just leave this present for everyone to decipher, right? But if you go down back to Micah 3, verse 9, just a couple paragraphs down, it says, Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight. So when I hear something that is a declaration like that, after what you guys, we've all sort of seen as hyperbolic language, yeah. and, and if we go back to some earlier Bible studies that we've done, we brought up this whole idea of, did Samson actually fight off a thousand people with just the jaw of a donkey mm -hmm. and was jo Jonah really swallowed by a big fish or a whale yeah and we, we want to take literal those things right and it you know to quote Judah directly we want to take the Bible as literal as often as possible right. but in the case of something like hyperbole or, or, or a metaphor then we want to look for the clues which Dave you know Dave is great at deciphering for us because you said you know you're, you're an English major right so not just that you're well read so and, and that being said Usually there's hints that say, oh, this person is speaking poetically, or these are signs of Hebrew poetry from, you know, in this case, who knows, 4,000 years ago, maybe something like that, you know? Yeah, so, so looking at it in the historical context. So for me, these things are important because if I'm going to study scripture, 
I want to read it all the way through and have a very clear understanding of what was happening. I don't want to be ill-informed ever, not just for my own heart, but if I'm going to teach something to somebody or if somebody has a question, I don't want to say, well, I don't know. I just figured that, I just figured it was uh, that every, all the prophets in the Bible just make stuff up because it sounds really good it, to drive a point home. And it's good to know this stuff, too, because you can, like, run into people who want to, like, tear down the Bible so they'll take stuff out of context. Like, if you took 3-3, three, three, yes, you eat my people's flesh and strip off their skin. See, the Bible is telling people to eat other people. Yeah, God's right chosen here. people were cannibals. Yeah, yeah. see, it's right here. Yeah. And, and things sadly do get taken out of context often, especially in today's with the information age and the internet. But yeah. my point being is this. In Micah 3, when it does say that, and then you, it says make crooked all all that is straight, that is very biblical. That's mm. a very biblical concept because God is righteousness, yes? yes? He's holy. And if God is this true straight line of righteousness, that means everything outside of that is not perfectly straight. It's not 100% straight. <clears throat> so that means everything else is not holy, is right. not righteous. <clears throat> Whether you're just off by, you know, 000.01 right. degree of trueness or mm. you're mangled like if you took a, a straight bar of steel and you turned it up into like a like a, a crumpled up little noodle or something like that you turned it into like a ball right <clears throat> kept folding it over and over and over on itself or, or not it knotted it up right <clears throat> so that's that's the reason why i care i care because and i don't want to hang out on this for too long but i just i want to have a clear understanding basically who built zion with blood in jerusalem with iniquity its heads give judgment for a bribe its priests teach for a price its prophets practice divination for money which is what Dave was just saying, right? Mm -hmm. So this is another good example of how corrupt not just all the people were, but the leaders were. And if yeah. you see this um, socioeconomically in, in, the, uh, in the government, in, in, in any social structure, really, everything rolls downhill, doesn't it? Yeah. So if you have a corrupt president or, or a king, then you may have corrupt uh, religious leaders. You may have a, a corrupt parliament or, or you know, Congress people, and those people may may be making you know sinful or crooked or evil deals with corporations or other right. And you end up cheating people, right? Mm -hmm. and that's essentially what Micah is talking about here: is that the God's people are are being crooked and sinful and cheating other people. Yeah. Well, yeah. it is. It's the same thing as today, and, and it I've is the same thing as today. I've, I've been thinking about that a lot, actually, as you're talking, saying that, Johnny. Why, you know, you start from the king all the way down back then. You start from the president all the way down. Wherever you want to start, the head of a corporate. There's 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 all these sins being committed because everybody wants to get their piece of the pie. Everybody wants to gain something. Okay, you know, I'm going to take a slice of this. I'm going to take my cut. I'm going to I'm going to make my part on it because you know it goes back to because we're trying to. We're trying to store treasures on earth, and, it, and it's, actually, it's actually, when I thought about it, I've been thinking about how ridiculous it is to do that, to, to worry about what we have to do for today, to save for today, to, you know, so that we end up committing sins, whether it's cheating or doing any things Micah talks about, any mm -hmm. of these things, or any of the things that we do in our lives, and I'm not saying any of you individually, but that we do in our lives to get ahead or to... Uh, even make a living sometimes. You know, how important is that? And we've made it very important as a society, as people. This is what happens. We expect people to do this. We look at our leaders. None of us trust our leaders. But where are we? You know, where are we? You don't trust a great leader? Sin is something that fractures our relationships. If someone sins against you, it damages the relationship. Mm -hmm. Some of the damages can be repaired. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes we're not willing to have it repaired, right? Yeah. So that's what sin does, right? And that's what we're seeing here in Micah is that the sins of Israel, who built Zion with blood, who make crooked all that is straight, and Jerusalem with iniquity, its heads give judgment for a bribe. So they're, they're, 
You can you can have someone judge because you paid to have it done. So corrupt. It's priests teach for a price. It's prophets practice divination for money. And they lean on the Lord, right? So so think about this, right? It's good that, that none of this stuff could happen today in today's society. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the sarcasm. But <laughs> it's, it's so important to understand that if sin damages our relationships and it's happening at the highest levels, it's damaging all these relationships and it's like it's like a spider web. Everyone is connected. It's That's like just, you throw a rock in, in a pond and you yeah. see the ripple effect. Mm-hmm. But now imagine throwing a thousand rocks up in the air over the water and then they all splash and you just see all the choppiness from all the interacting sin everywhere. And this is the world we live in today. Is all of that. So yep. what fixes that? Yeah. If God is a relational being from the beginning, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? The triune God, right? Jesus was there in the beginning. We know that from John, right? The Holy Spirit was there, obviously, right? Yep. So if God really is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and relational, and God made us to have a relationship with us, and we are sinning, not only are we damaging our relationship to one another, but we're also damaging our relationship to God. Yep. So it's no wonder we need a Savior, right? It's no wonder that we need God to come in here and clean up our mess mm-hmm. because the devil was what a liar and a murderer from the beginning mm. and, and it's hit like you said in the end times that's what created all the problems mm-hmm. was just how easily we were um tricked into believing his lies mm-hmm. you said this recently with me with a, with a with a client of mine it's a pendulum and when you put more faith in what you're afraid of over your faith in god and god's sovereignty that god is in control mm-hmm. which way are we going to let that pendulum swing are we going to believe that oh no this is going to happen i don't have enough money i don't have enough food i don't have enough provision whatever it may be or you're going to swing your pendulum with your with your faith what you're believing in and god really is sovereign Mm. he demonstrates it time and time again throughout history he demonstrates it throughout scripture he demonstrates it through my life through my friends lives through my family's lives where are you putting your faith i shouldn't put all my faith in the prophets i'm saying you should put all your faith into god alone exactly yeah and i say that because uh I, I, I finally joined the train of watching The Chosen. Oh. <laughs> and it was aboard, absolutely man. amazing. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why I held on so, so long. Maybe it's because I'm a sinner and I watched a blacklist instead. No, <laughs> I, 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 it's because you're used to other, watching Christian movies that are bad, no, watching I, Christian TV shows that are <clears> bad. And then when there's one that's like, oh, this is really good. It can't be good. The other, what, like, what, like, you know, like pure flicks or whatever? No, 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 my, no but my, it's my, good. My point it's that good. I was just trying to make is simple. It's Matthew, my favorite book of the Bible is Matthew. I say it all the time, but Matthew six twenty six. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Always, I always want to have that in the back of my memory. Like if, if you know, anyone's nervous or anyone's, I'm like, do I look worried to you? Well, that's Jesus already thing. won. That word worry, that's even more. What you just read out of Matthew, I, I always think further and I say, and the birds, they're not worried. They, yeah. they don't worry about it. They know they're taken care of. They don't have time mm-hmm. to worry. They just go about their life. Yeah, they're just enjoying the sunshine flying around, right? Yeah. It's, you know, it, it's just, that's so beautiful. So when it, when, when it says in Ephesians, you know, put on the, the, uh, the boots of the gospel of peace, that's, do you know the joy of God? Do you know the peace of God? Do you, does he bring you peace? Are you, or are you putting more faith in the things that you're afraid of, the things of this world? Or are you, putting, are you putting your nose into a Bible or your Bible app or listening to scripture or even talking about it with your friends? Are you, are you going to church? Are you being part of a fellowship? Yeah. And you're actually trusting in God. What does it say? What does it say for our salvation, right? Anyone who says with, the, with their mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead, there's that faith. Yeah. Faith is so important as far as our spirituality, our relationship to God. Because if we don't believe, then we have nothing. 
We have nothing. Abraham was counted as righteous because of his faith, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Because Jesus wasn't born yet. So he was counted as straight, as clean, as, 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 that, as that perfect holiness because of his faith. Mm -hmm. How powerful is that? So mm -hmm. it's, it, it, is, it is by your faith that we receive grace for our salvation, right? I don't know. It just it blows my mind. I could literally just sit here and just feel so totally tranquil and calm talking about this. Just don't think of why. You think of why, but don't go too far into it because that's what gets me sometimes. It's like, why, why this? Why that? Why what? Why did God create us? Mm. He, he created us to, to give love and receive love through our free will because he loved having Jesus as his son and he wanted to make a bigger family. That's, that's what the Bible has taught me thus far. And okay. this is just my humble opinion. It doesn't say those exact words in Scripture, but that's what I gather is that God made us not because he needed us. Yeah. He's all, but because that's what, that was his expression of, as an artist. He wanted to create us and extend his family. And he wanted to give it to beings with a free will, just like the angels have free will, right? But what did we do? We took our free will, and what did we do? We chose to try out sin, to go on the roller coaster and see mm -hmm. what it was like. Yep. And he loves us so much that no matter how much our sins are sending us to a place separate from him in the next life, the eternal life, because your soul is eternal, mm -hmm. right? He, he loves us so much that he sends, he makes a way when there's no way. Just like, just like um, Moses is in Exodus, he's walking out with how many Israelites? And they hit the sea and there's nowhere to go. And God yep. says, here you go. So God makes a way and that way is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the way to the promised land, i.e. heaven. Right or or in relationship, right relationship with God. And what I love about that is you literally answered not only my first question but the question I was going to ask second. Which well, is, you're not the only one who thinks you can't read the Bible and not ask yourself why, and then you want to read more. And the more you read, but then the like, more God provides. Yeah, He provides the answers. He provides mm -hmm. that that peace. You know. You know, as, as Micah goes on, I mean, obviously he's prophesying things. You know, one, one thing I, I will say again, just back to the. Uh, cannibalism topic <laughs> it, it is, is fascinating but is, yeah. is that like we, whenever we read prophecy we have to realize that there is allegory i mean even in uh just skimming through you know in micah 6 uh one says stand up state your case against me let the mountains and hills be called the witness to your complaints again it's not <clears throat> not literally calling mountains to uh to witness it but um i think he's just stating the case that um that what what they're doing is so grievous in God's eyes. But Micah, like most of these minor prophets, major prophets, um, it always turns back to hope, right? I mean, chapter 7 is where it's going on. I mean, it's pretty pretty uh, uh, devastating. It says, the godly people have all disappeared. Not one honest person is left. They're all murderers, setting traps for their own brothers. Just kind of going on and on. Um you know, don't trust anyone, not your best friend, your wife, son despises his father, daughter defiles her mother. But then verse 7, Micah 7, it says, As for me, I look to the Lord for help. I wait confidently to, for God to save me, and my God will certainly hear me. Don't gloat over me, my enemies, for though I fall, I will rise again. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. I'll be patient as the Lord punishes me, for I've sinned against him. But after that, he'll take up my case and give me justice for all I have suffered. The Lord will bring me into the light, and, and then I will see his righteousness. The enemies will see the Lord is on my side. They'll be ashamed. And it just kind of goes on. And, and I think that's the great thing about, about Scripture is that, yeah, you, you see the judgment and the consequences. You see the, mm -hmm. the, the fire and fury of God. But it's, um, it's like wasabi, right? You know, I mean, if you ever... If you ever eat like a like a habanero pepper or anything even hotter than that, I mean, 
that heat, it lasts, mm-hmm. right? But you, you take wasabi and you feel like you just blew your brains out. But it doesn't last, right? And that's how God's, you know, anger is is more like that in many ways, I think. It's like it's like this, this hot, fiery heat, mm-hmm. but then it subsides. And it's like as long as you... It's not continuous. Yeah, you repent, you turn from your ways, he's willing to take you back. I mean, all these things, whatever they've done, how willing is he to forgive and to give them another start and to show compassion again verse 19 once again you'll have compassion on us you'll trample our sins under your feet and throw them in the depths of the ocean you'll show us your faithfulness and unfailing love as you promised to our ancestors abraham and jacob long ago and that's how he concludes the chapter i think it's like it's like blacksmithing i was watching forge and fire last night and they're taking this impure metal. It's Love like anchor show. chain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're taking this anchor chain, and they gotta they gotta um, you know mix it with this other metal to make some kind of you know U.S. Navy knife or something. I don't know. But basically, it's the idea that you're taking this impure thing, you're getting it super hot, right? And what it's doing is it's burning off all these impurities. And then what what God is doing with us when He's correcting us, right? When He may be putting us through um, a bottleneck or a pinch point or or a fire, if you will, He's beating us. To make us something better, right? He's he's taking that hammer on the anvil and he's working out all the all the impurities. He's he's be, he's forming us to what he needs us to be, right? Mm. To be useful, right? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Rather than just you know some. I mean, the wasabi was good though. <laughs> <laughs> Have you had wasabi lately, Judah? Yeah. Where'd that no. analogy? I, I don't know where these thoughts come <laughs> from. They just like pop yeah. into my mind. These random. <laughs> like, uh, like twelve or thirteen, my my dad and my grandfather and I, we went to a, a Japanese place and they had the wasabi there, and I'm like. My dad's like, oh, you should try this. I'm like, oh, what's it taste like? He's like, oh, it's sweet. You'll love it. <laughs> I like your dad. He's funny. <laughs> yeah. I took it, put it in my mouth. He's looking at me. My grandfather's looking at me. The the, the hibachi chef, he's looking at me. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, waiting. So this is, well, so this is, yeah, go, go ahead. Uh, no, I just, I was going to comment uh, on what Judah's reading there, chapter 7. It starts out... <laughs> with misery when my book reads chapter 7 verse 1 how miserable i am i feel like a fruit picker after the harvest who can find nothing to eat and it goes on he goes it says in verse 2 the godly people have all disappeared not one honest person is left on the earth they're all murderers setting traps even for their own brothers so micah paints not a very pretty picture here it, it, and you talk about imagery, not a very pretty picture, but as Judah read, at the end, if you read 18, there's a God we were talking about. There's the God we know, a God who pardons. Where is another God like you who pardons the guilt of the remnant, overlooking the sins of his special people? You will not stay angry with your people forever because you delight in showing unfailing love. So this chapter 7 sums it up in two ways, you know, given the ugly, ugly picture and then the pardon, the yeah. forgiveness. Yeah. Mm. Um, I, I do want to talk about religious allegory for a second here because this is something that I learned in my, my walk with the Lord is there is allegorical um, storytelling, right, in the Bible, but there's there's a very fine line between, say, something like, Genesis 1 through 11, where God created the heavens and the earth, and he made man on the sixth day, and he gave Adam the breath of life, right? Mm -hmm. If you can dismiss, let's say, like, that as an allegorical story, because let's say we're going to go with a current scientific paradigm for the last, I don't know, 150 years of the Big Bang, let's, let's just go with that, right? And say, oh, that's allegorical. Well, then Jesus could be just as easily allegorical. He could have just been like this figurehead hero, this redemptive story, but that's not true. What we do know is... Over 2,000 years ago, there really was a real person, right? right? And not only do the 
uh, Bible historians, right? Like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But you also have the, the Roman historians that verify this information, right? Yeah. So this is very important to, to know the line between dismissing Jonah and the fish or um, Moses and Aaron's uh, with, the, with the bronze serpent or Exodus, all these things that once you, once you say, oh, well, there is all allegory storytelling in the Bible, you, you got you to gotta have spiritual discernment to know what is real and then what is hyperbolic language or mm -hmm. an allegorical story or a parable. Because there is a difference between that stuff. Because the minute that you open up the door to, oh, well, there's allegories in the Bible, you take someone who, like me, who's naturally a skeptic, who's naturally a cynic, to look at Scripture and say, well, why wouldn't it all be allegorical then? Yeah. Like, like, and not to say, you know, don't throw out the baby with the bathwater, right? There's obviously a lot of good that you can learn from reading this collection of these 66 scrolls or books, whatever you want to call it. But the idea is, once you can claim that Adam and Eve is just allegorical, then, what, then who cares about Jesus anymore? That's why I say, you know, we take the Bible literally whenever we possibly can. There, there's times where you, you can't take it literally. And that'll often be in the poetry books and in the prophetic books. A lot of those, we, we, we don't know if we could take literally or figuratively. The other ones that we don't take literally are uh, the parables of Jesus, right? Because, I mean, I, I've heard people preach the parables as if it literally happened, which maybe it did, maybe it didn't, but Jesus never clarified whether or not his parables actually happened. He just said, you know, my kingdom is like a sower who went out to sow, yeah. uh, you know, seed in the field. Like, we don't know if that literally actually happened, right? Yeah. Um, or, or the prodigal son story or the good Samaritan story. Like, we don't know if those literally happened or not, and Jesus never claimed that they did. So, you know, those were likely figurative because of the, the 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 way in which he told them it's like saying hey you know imagine you drive out here and you get hit by a car you know it's, it's like it's not a literal story it's it's a probable story it's something that likely could have happened so we take it literally whenever we possibly can and and it's usually pretty clear in the writings when it's intended to be taken you know literally again in the books of poetry a lot of times um and in the prophetic books but in like all the history books, which the history would be, you know, the, the Pentateuch, the Torah, plus all, many of the, the, the law, um, a lot of the other history books, Kings, Chronicles, you know, all of those things. It's like, yeah, we, like we, we take those literal. There's people, they take everything figurative. And again, if you're going to just take it all figurative, it's just like Aesop's fables or something. It's like maybe some good moral teaching, but it's not life-changing, right? It's like when we take it literally, it is, and that's, you know, thing, especially when it comes to Jesus. It's like whenever we start making the life of Jesus figurative or whatever. Now, it doesn't mean that there's not applications that we can derive from certain events in Scripture, mm. right? Like, there's, there's applications that we can take, like, say, with Jonah, you know, we can say, oh, well, you know what? One of the things I can learn from that is when God tells you to do something, um, don't run away from God. Some people will assume that that story is all an allegory just to say that. No, I assume that it's true. But I assume that there's life lessons that I can then learn from the truth of, of God's word. So is that what you took from Jonah? Because I, I, I I'm, I'm just using that as an, I mean, there's tons of stuff that we can take from I'll Jonah. I, I'm just I'm just saying yeah. I'm just saying the the story of Jonah is not simply to be taken as an allegory. I thought it's, it was like don't admit who you are on the boat. Yeah, don't raise your hand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, mean, I don't know why it's. A it's because of me. <laughs> I have no idea. Throw me overboard and it'll yeah. stop. Yeah. 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 Who that, says that? Don't admit to anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Key. So, so yeah, I mean, we, we have to take it, uh, we take it literally whenever possible. Well, there's clues, right? So. This is what I'm bringing, the reason why I'm even bringing this up is there's clues. For example, uh, I, I watch a YouTube channel called Is Genesis History, mm. and they talk to actual biologists, um, genealogists, geologists, they talk to Hebraists, and that's one of the things that I learned from watching the episodes on the Hebraists, is there's a guy who's like the Hebrew guy for studying scripture, who's obviously like a Messianic Jew. He believes, mm. you know, Jesus really was who he claimed to be. And he talks about how when you read, let's say, Genesis, the Genesis paradigm, or let's say you read into something like this, they look for these literary clues. It reads like a historical narrative. Mm -hmm. It reads like a parable. It reads like a song. It reads like Hebrew poetry. So we may not be versed in Hebrew poetry, mm -hmm. right? But by doing just a little bit of extra research, if you're curious, you can look into what category would this Bible book or scroll or, you know, whatever, where does it fall? Because mm -hmm. look at something like, like Numbers or Chronicles. That's pretty straightforward. It's pretty dry, those parts of the Bible, right? Yeah. But then if you get to something like Genesis or you get to something like Revelation where it's this apocalyptic literature, it's like, well, what does all this mean? Is this all just visual? Is this all, you know what I mean? Is this a metaphor? Mm -hmm. You know, so just, you can dig a little bit deeper than if you get confused. You don't have to just sit there and say, oh, this is allegorical or, mm -hmm. oh, this is definitely literal. Like, do a little bit of extra homework and... You'll get that much more out of the scriptures, you know. Uh, any other final thoughts on uh, the book of Micah before we wrap up this book? Yeah, I have one. Yeah. Maybe more than one, but I'm just going to give you one. It's something we had read before, and I, I, when I went back and read this over the weekend, somehow I got stuck. I dwelled on this particular chapter 6, verse 6 through 8. And, of course, 6, 8 is that famous verse. But let me read what my book says for everybody that might be listening. What can we bring to the Lord? Should we bring him burnt offerings? Should we bow before God most high with offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? And we had read that before. And so it seems the nation here, Israel, offering ex increasingly extravagant gifts, ending with child sacrifice, as it mm. were. Mm. Okay, all of this they're they're offering to God, and all of it is rejected. And so we're talking about allegory, or, or, or you know, is this allegory? Let's just take that whatever it is, and apply it to our lives today. So we don't give burnt offerings, we don't offer our firstborn children, or offer oil. But what do we do to pacify ourselves to make believe that we're doing the right thing? Well, who knows? I'm like I'm, that's a rhetorical question for anybody that's listening for the folks in here. And then we go down to eight. No, O people, the Lord has told you what is good. In other words, no. He's reje reject everything else there. Here's what's good. This is what he requires of you. It's pretty simple. Not easy, as Judah said. Simple, but not easy. Do what is right. Love mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. God rejects, through Micah, rejects all those offerings in favor of qualities of character. Mm. This is what we're talking about, qualities of character and of behavior that happen to be lacking in Israel. And if Israel is synonymous with America, happen to be lacking in America. Mm, that's that's my comment on that. You're reading through this and you're talking about like all the offerings and how it, you, like God just doesn't care. Like um, I don't know who else owns a cat, but I know Lenny, you have a cat at home. When your, your, your cat kills stuff and brings it to you as an offering... 
Do you care for it? <laughs> so funny. Lenny does not care for it unless it's a burnt offering. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> burn it. Burnt it. <laughs> you yoink this with oil? Yeah. yeah in, in fact, I told the cat if she keeps doing that, I'm going to have to sacrifice her. And I haven't seen anything yet. I haven't seen any more uh, gifts. Cats are smart. <laughs> but it just what, what it reminded me of is like, this sounds like, you know, like, like, like a cat will do this. A cat will bring you, okay, I killed this bird for you. And it's like, okay, that's disgusting. Does right. God look at it the same way? Like, okay, that's disgusting. I just want you to be Thank good. You. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This, again, this passage was so, it, it just played on my mind over the weekend as I'm, I'm reading, I'm a, we're away in Rhode Island, our home up there, and I'm reading this, I'm thinking, this is what James, I think it was, said, and back me up, or contradict me, folks, you know, it's, we, we have to do good deeds and good things. That isn't it. We get our salvation through, mm-hmm. uh, through God, and, and, and we are saved already by, by the grace of God, by Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter what we do, but we still try to do that. Oh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to donate some money to charity, or I'm going to do this charitable, you know, to make up. And that's what I, I was putting into these lines six, six and seven here, where they're offering all these things, uh, you know, increasingly extravagant gifts. Mm. What do we do to, to try to earn our way into heaven or to earn our way into God's favor as opposed to verse 8? In other words, our quality of character. What is our quality of character? Do we ask ourselves that mm. or, 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 or our behavior even? Well, who had the that, best quality of character? Well, Jesus Christ. So are we following Jesus? Exactly. Are we abiding this, in the vine? Thank you. Yeah. That's exactly, Johnny, what this boils down to. And, and, and I kept pursuing us. I'm saying, why is this striking me? And I'm saying, okay. <laughs> It doesn't matter what I give, what I do. It's nice to do those things, but that isn't it. What's my character and well, my behavior? Well, who am I you, following? If you read that, who loved, who, who lived righteous or who loved justice? Jesus, yeah. right? He rebuked the corrupt Pharisees, right? Who loved mercy? Yeah. Jesus. And who walked humbly with their God? Jesus, right? right. So I, always, I say this all the time. I look for Jesus in the Old Testament all the time, right? And not only do we see it there in Micah uh, 6.8, right? But... In Micah, this is the last thing I have underlined, by the way, but it's uh, Micah 7, 7. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God, capital G, I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me, right? I'm going to read it again. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. Who is the God of salvation? The triune God, Jesus, right? So here it is, Micah 7, 7. God's number seven that you see all throughout scripture. I don't believe in coincidences. I'll just leave it there, right? Mm Mm-hmm. The God of my salvation is Yeshua Hamashiach. It's Jesus Christ, Christ anointed, right? It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's Jesus. Right there in Micah 7.7. 7. Proof again, him in the Old Testament. Uh, what we were talking about, it's like if you imagine your kid, if they found out that you like lollipops, let's say, right? Or they think you like lollipops. They kill your cat. Kill the cat. Here's a lollipop. And you're like, okay. And then they go and they like, Spray paint your car. And like, oh, here, here's another lollipop, right? And then they go and they light your house on fire. They burn the fire to the, you know, the house to the ground. Like, well, here's a lollipop, right? It's like, thanks for the lollipop, <laughs> but it really means nothing. Can and, you stop doing all this destructive it, things exactly. that fracture our relationship? Right, and, yeah. and, and that's what God, you see this throughout the prophecies. It's like, where even, I don't know, I think it's maybe in, in Malachi, I don't know exactly where, but we're. God says, your offerings are like a stench into my nostrils. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, you're, you're doing what I told you to do, but it's not doing what you think it's doing because you're not stopping mm-hmm. what you're doing. You're not stopping the sin. It's here. It's like, oh, what, what extravagant thing can we do? 
What what can I do to 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 make amends? What can I do for for my penance? Oh, I know. I'll, I'll give God a, a lollipop. I'll, I'll 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 do a burnt sacrifice. I'll pour out a little bit of oil, and that'll appease him. And it's like God's like, the point isn't how can you appease me. The point is, will you obey me? Mm-hmm. And then you don't have to go through all this things in this posturing because at some point when you figure out the system, right? It's like when you say, oh, you know what? It's like these these people that uh, that do these uh, things in sports and in you know and in business and whatever they say. Oh, I, I know I can do this shady uh, business deal, or I can cheat, or I can do whatever, and or I could I could uh, you know use uh, performance enhancing drugs in my competition. And if I ever get caught, I have to pay a fine. But by that time, the amount that I've already have earned. Pay well, far money. outweigh the fine. So it's like, oh, I get fined $100,000, but I've already made $10 million, so you know what? It's a price to pay. Yeah. And, and, and I think a lot of people look at God like that. It's like, well, you know, I can do this, and then as long as I come over here and I, you know... You know, love I, me, I, I'll go to heaven. Yeah, and I, I drop a donation in the box, or I, or I, you know, go and I work in a soup kitchen one Saturday, or I do this, or I do that, or, you know, uh, or I show up at church one Sunday. Well, well then it's all good, and it's, it's this... It's like as if we're like paying God for our ability to sin. And I think that at some point, that's where God comes to this point of like, you're destroying this relationship. You well, know? you know, it's like, it's like you were just saying, it's like uh, our heart is uh, un- uncurably sick, the Bible says. It's uncurably yeah. sick. So what does Jesus do? He takes away that heart and gives us a new one. Because yeah. you can't even fix it. So when, when God says you can't fix it, he knows. <laughs> you know what I mean? So what do we do? We sit there and we go to church or we read scripture or we do whatever and then we justify it by going back to our sin. Instead of repenting to, to Jesus, we repent back to our sin. Yeah. We hold on to the things that give us pleasure and God's like, just stop fracturing our relationship. Right. Stop hurting the people around you. Stop hurting me. Let go of those things. The amount of pleasure you think you get from that, I have way more joy and pleasure and peace to offer you. Yeah. If you'll just pry your cold dead hands off of that sin and come to me, come to life, come to repentance right come people yeah. I, I, feel, I feel like that's the, the people everyone loves jesus right he's mm-hmm. he's so merciful he's loving he died for our sins but they forget about the part where it says all humans must repent and mm-hmm. then trust in jesus right mm-hmm. there's there's that thing that we have to do is we have to trust in god enough so that we're letting go of those things that we think bring us pleasure whether it's killing the cat or spray painting dad's car or burning the house down and then yeah. trying to make right by attending church or a bible study or what have you you know yeah. that's the key is you can't have god and have sin you can't you can't have both. You can't have your cake and eat it too. Well, it's a matter of, as, as I pointed out, I think in our first session here, Micah begins a number of his chapters with listen. Listen to what the Lord is saying. Mm-hmm. I think that's the key. And what you're saying it just made me think of that again, Johnny. Who are we listening to? Are we listening to God? Are we listening to the Bible? Or are we listening to the world, to the people around us, to the earth, all the things, all the trappings of our society? What are we listening to? That's mm-hmm. the question. Yeah, I'm listening to God. Yeah. I, I, was, I was thinking about like my cat analogy, and I'm like expanding on it in my head because it's like, okay, so a cat, they go do their own thing. They're very independent. Once in a while, they'll come by and they want to snuggle, and they'll give you they'll give you gifts. Your dog will follow you around everywhere you go, and wants to please you, and do what you want it to do. 
Be like the dog. Don't be, be like, like the cat. The dog. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody, we know that he wants a cat really bad. So if anybody's yeah. donating, Ken wants a cat. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. He's talking about him. <laughs> no, but it's like because it, it, to the animal, animal, you are God. You bring everything that it has. Food, water, All its food. scratches. Yeah. Rubs, so like yeah. the cat's kind of like. Every once in a while, I'll go and I'll give you a, a tithing, and I'll say, hey, how you doing? But the dog's like, where are we going? What do you want to do? What yeah. do you want me to do? <laughs> yeah. I'll do it. I'll do it. What do you want me to do? Mm. I can do that. I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> be, be like a dog. Be like a dog. And on that note, uh, let, let's uh, let's wrap up for this week. Um, <laughs> so, uh, wise words from Ben. Be like a dog. Uh, let, let's, uh, let's, let's go on and uh, jump into Nahum uh, for, uh, for next week's three chapters. So I, I would say, you know, let, let's read through it um, at least at least seven times, at least once a day. Uh, if you want to read it more, then then you're welcome to. Uh, another another prophecy, you know, message regarding Nineveh. So a lot of people think that uh, Jonah was the primary uh, spokesperson there to Nineveh, but we see Nahum also is talking about Nineveh some. So we can jump into that next week, and uh, we'll be back with you then. Well, we hope that you enjoyed our discussion today on the Thriving in the Word podcast. We invite you to leave a rating or a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Also consider sharing it on social media. We can't wait to be back together with you at the Thriving in the Word podcast.